Welcome, everybody, to Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot, and tonight we have a super, super special guest. Uh, but also joining us is our Time Attack Director for Grid Life, Mr. Abram Schmucker. What's going on, Abram? Hey, buddy. How's it going? Doing great, man. So uh, thank you so much for bringing this guest on today. Uh, it's somebody that you have actually uh, had multiple conversations with and actually spent uh, probably, what, uh, a little over a week and a half with uh, a couple years ago? That's right. So, uh, yeah, Abe brought uh, Mr. Brock Yates Jr. What's going on, Brock? Not much. Just uh, trying to stay awake. But no, we're all good. I'm just kidding. Well, we'll try not to put you to sleep. No, I appreciate that. No, I'll be fine. <laughs> so for those that uh, that don't know, um, Brock Yates Jr. actually organizes Tyrax One Lap of America and has actually been a part of it uh, as a participant and an organizer for probably, what, over the past 30 years, Brock? 35 years. I was on the first one. Oh, that's right. As a passenger, right? I'm sorry? As a passenger, no. right? No, I was a passenger. Oh, on the Cannonball. That's right. That's right. But no, I, I actually drove the 84 one lap. I'm that old. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Abram had probably just been born. <laughs> Are you that old, Abram? Uh, I was born in 85, yeah. Oh, okay, you weren't born yet. So I guess the the main question is what what was the car of choice for the 1984 one lap? Well, uh, it just so happens that I was sponsored by Saab. Uh, Bob Sinclair was a North American vice president of Saab, or president of Saab rather, and a and a uh, crazy man of his own right. And my father organized the event, and he offered us a uh, nine uh, nine hundred turbo, which was absolutely a lovely car. And the original directions were that year, start in Darien, Connecticut, go to Boston, turn left, go to Seattle, turn left, go to San Diego, turn left, go to Miami, turn left, and return to start. That sounds and that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that yeah. is a pretty, yeah. pretty crazy trip. Yeah, it was. And uh, Saab actually invented the 60-40 rear seat split for the event. Really? Because they, they cut the seat in half, well, not quite in half, and left the large side for somebody to sit in, and the smaller side was reclined so you could actually put a bed in place. So that's that's the history of the sixty forty split, huh? That's just, as far as I know, I've never found I've never found anybody to dispute that. But that's uh, that's where it came from. So if you got pulled over, you know, with your sixty forty split now, and someone's sleeping in the back, you say no, that's what they designed it for, right? Well, I mean, that was before mandatory seatbelts. I mean, that was. You know, people in the back still, in most states, still don't have to wear the seatbelts. Yeah. Yeah, only only children, like, are 18 and under, I think, are required to in the right. back seats in many states. Right. But forgetting, of course, that the people in the back seat become projectiles and killing <laughs> To the hit people the people in the front. In the front. <laughs> but, yeah, who might, uh, you know, try to bring logic into the equation. So what what is the history of One Lap? I, I think Abram and I both know, but where did the, the idea come from and what kind of spawned everything? Well... I'm sure your, your your listeners have heard of the Cannonball, the race across country yep. that my father invented and that awful movie Cannonball Run came out of. But that was a real event, and it was run five times in the 90s, or the 70s, rather. And at some point, it started to get out of hand. It looked like the speeds were going to increase exponentially. The With that, the danger to the, the normal driving population, you know, the poor bastards who are just trying to get from A to B. And my father put a bullet in it and said, it's just not worth it. 
And he kind of languished around for a couple of years, and then he, he had had this idea called the 10 grand one lap of America, where you just drive around the perimeter of the country. And I'm not sure if he envisioned it as a race or as a, as a rally or what, but he said, well, screw it, let's do it. So he, uh, he, we got 100 cars. We got 130 cars or something like that. Really? Dumb, people dumb enough to think that was a good idea. And, and we started getting at the Lock, Stock, and Barrel, the historic start of the Cannonball, with jello wrestling and, and crowds and car shows. And it was not a secret. It was just a, you know an enormous amount of fun. And we all set off on this adventure um, and immediately drove into a giant speed trap in Ohio because they thought it was a Cannonball. And then, you know, but it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was an opportunity to drive around the country that most people would never have. So was the uh, the original the 10K moniker was that supposed to be 10,000 miles? Yeah, it was around around 10,000 miles around the, the perimeter of the country. Okay. As it turned out, I think our route that year was about 8,800, which is still a long way. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a super super long way. How uh, how many uh, days was it that year? Eight days. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you're basically busy was, well, basically you just never stopped. You'd, uh, you'd get gas, switch drivers, and press on. And keep going. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was fun. I mean, it turned out to be a, a series of, of actually four shorter cannonballs where people, you know, drive stupidly fast to the next checkpoint. And we'd all sit around waiting for the, our time to check in and, and check in and go race off to the next one. But nonetheless, it was... Um, it, it was fun enough that people actually signed up for the next year, and and the premise was fairly silly. It was to guess Brock's mileage over eighty eight hundred miles, and it was it, I don't know where he came up with it, but there was that was really the entire contest. And so the the next year uh, he added a little TSD rally, which was a, a time speed distance rally to kind of break it up and over the course of time uh the event was still very long but we would he added uh auto crosses or hill climbs or regularity runs or more tsds and at one point in 89 he decided to conspire with a guy named tolio trinoff who was one of the great personalities of the sport a vintage car racer a uh a nut and uh he owned Hallett Raceway in Oklahoma, and they told the FCCA they're going to drive around the racetrack as a one one and a half mile slalom course. And we all got there, and the slalom cones were gone, and we ran it as a as a one lap uh, 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 time trial. And nobody died, thankfully. And that kind of started the new era of one lap, where we actually you know race on racetracks now. And, and don't do any TSDs. We travel safe and sanely in the highway and have some fun on the racetrack. So it's been it's been running at tracks like that since 1989. You said, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. awesome. Adjusted the uh, the format in the in the old days. A, 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 a TS or a, a time trial according to the FCCA is you was about eight tenths of a lap. You start off and pit out and drive around to some end point on the other side before pit in. And we've expanded that to a three-lap format, uh, which is pretty much the limit of a standard street tire. 
after that, they start to get greasy and overheat and become less predictable. Right now, with with some of the new street tires that are out, have you guys thought about modifying that uh, that model at all? Not really, because we not everybody's running the oh my god street tires. Right, I mean, it's a run which is a long event, and also there's a time constraint. You know, right, got to fit seventy five, eighty cars in you know a three hour window at a racetrack. So if I start running more than that, then then I uh, I'm limiting to how many events I can have in a day. Okay. Now, do you go out and pre-run the routes at all before the actual uh, before the actual event? Well, before the advent of MapQuest and Google Maps, I did. Okay. And you know, we'd uh, we'd drive around the country checking all the routes, uh, looking at the racetracks, um, you know, trying to figure out the best way, local knowledge, everything like that. Now, well, when I first got MapQuest, that was such a disaster that the route book was was just wrong all the time. But with Google Maps, I just go in and I, if I have a question, I go into Street View and I and I check everything. So it's an incredibly accurate tool. Um, but no, I, I kind of half miss the days of you know driving around the country in February and snow and ice and you know trying to figure out how to get to from one place to another. But uh, nonetheless, it uh, it is what it is. Drive and have fun. Yeah, well, nobody uh, nobody says that you uh, you can't pre-run them anymore. I'd I'd say that uh, you know if you did it in February, there'd probably be some other people, crazy people, that might want to join you too. <laughs> yeah, there's something about getting to a racetrack and it's covered with snow and ice. They don't yet usually let you do hot laps. So, usually, so Brock, can you uh, can you tell us a little bit more about? Uh, what what goes into the process of selecting tracks and building a route for a uh, calendar year? Uh, it's basically, it's starting now for, for 2019. I, I, uh, there's about 110, 120 road courses around the country. And we've been to about 80 of them. And so what I try to do is I try to piece together a loop of tracks that people would want to go to, that I'd want to go to, and make and try to keep it, you know, around 3,500 miles. And even though we start and finish in South Bend, you know, there's still plenty of opportunities to, you know, uh, lots of great tracks within range. Um, you know, so next year I'm, you know, we'll probably go up to Valley Motorsport Park in New Hampshire, and then come down through like Monticello to. Summit Point or VIR, and then head down to say Alabama. So, so we're, again, we're everything is uh, just a, a loop of, of fun racetracks, and it changes every year. Uh, when did the event uh, begin starting at Tire Rack? About uh, fifteen, no, thirteen years ago. Uh, Tire Rack was always instrumental in, in selling us tires because they. You know, support the sport racing, support uh, uh, racers incredibly well, and it was just a natural uh, mix because most of mo even before they were a sponsor, most of us ordered our tires from them, and they uh, they've been incredibly supportive. They're wonderful people. Um, I'm sure if, if for your listeners that have dealt with Tire Rack, everybody is professional. Everybody knows what they're talking about. And the tires arrive very, very quickly. And that, 
that service is from the top all the way down to the bottom. They're all marvelous people. Yeah, you know, I, I spent two weeks uh, training there when I used to work for a tire manufacturer and came away very, very impressed with how they did everything. Yeah, they're just, I mean, it, there's a, a, an ethic in that business that I've never seen before, that everybody is helpful, everybody treats everybody wonderfully. Um, no, it's, uh, it's a special company. It just, yeah. The only thing that throws me off is that everybody's name is different than what it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> their, their witness protection program throws me off every time. No, it's because, because there's like 9,000 salesmen and you can't have the same name for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I, mean, I sat in the beginning of training for some of their, their, their customer service reps and it was their first yeah. day. And they'd go down the line, okay, what's your name? And if it was a duplicate name, they'd be like, all right, we're going to have to change that. You're going to need a different name. It's just, there was a, I was a, a girls basketball team in Reno, Nevada a few years ago that every girl on the team was named Caitlin. Oh, really? <laughs> that, that can't happen when you're trying to make your money as a tire salesperson on the phone. You know, which, you know, which one do you want? We're invariably going to get the wrong one. So, no, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, I mean, especially for, for taking care of customers and things like that, you know, I, I completely agree with why they do it. I've just always found it kind of kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that that was the case either up until fairly recently. So, yeah, their, uh, their new facility, or not new facility, but how they've kind of revamped the facility in the, the last couple of years, it's, it's turning out to be a really, really nice spot. It is. It is. They, well, they added, what, 300,000 square feet for a total of 700,000. Yeah. Yeah, the place is, is gigantic. And now the new offices that overlook the, you know, the testing area are really, really nice. Yeah, no, it's, uh, they've done pretty well. And they and they've, uh, keep adding depots around the country also, which uh, makes the service even better. Now, does anyone from, from Tyrock ever compete in the event or has competed in the event in the past? Uh, Joe Woodward. Joe's, yeah. Uh, he's a uh, uh, wholesale manager, I believe. He's been with us probably 10 times. Uh, Luke has been with us a bunch of times. Pavlik, he's one of the main salespeople for One Lap, or one of our prime contacts. Um, let's see. I, I'm sure there's other ones. Okay. Yeah, um, you know, they're always welcome, of course. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those events that uh, it seems like people, most people, do more than once, or if they do it once, they always talk about wanting to do it again. Um, you know, it, we, it seems like it's a really, really strong community there. We have a very, very high recidivism rate. Right? So once you do it, you're pretty much stuck. And we've got uh, one person that's celebrating his 25th this year. Oh, wow. Uh, and two people char uh, celebrating their 20th. And Dubler would have been 25, but uh, who's one of our uh our more our more uh, spectacular personalities, a German chocolatier that has come over for the last 25 years to run the event. Um, no, we've we've got uh, we've got lots and lots of people that, that come every year, and, and at the same time, this year we've got uh, 25 or 30 new teams. They're the first year, and uh, uh, hopefully they'll they'll find the same enjoyment and continue the continue the. Uh, 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 so, Austin, when I was on the trip in 2016, the best way that it was described to me was, you know, one lap is like the trip of a lifetime that you attempt to recreate every single year. Ah. Well, so, so some people actually show up every year. They, I mean, it, uh, 
Yeah, one of our uh, one of our, our friends of our show, uh, Andy Hollis, I know, comes out and, and does it a pretty decent amount. Yeah, he's uh, he what is his ninth year, I think, this year. Yeah, he showed up. Uh, at, we had a, a very rainy day at Texas World Speedway one year, and he's he comes and watches, and he says, "I can't believe they're running in this." Wa-. I mean, the, the water was like ankle deep all the way around the racetrack, but we had fun, and everybody's nice to him, and he and he, he and Ann have been coming ever since. Okay. Yeah, Texas World Speedway is a, an interesting place, especially in the wet with the roval and everything. Oh, yeah. No, it's uh, it's pretty treacherous. Uh, so when you go out in the outfield, I think it's, what, turn five, the right-hander that goes out in the back. It goes up the hill? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, what that's, is that, seven as you come up by the water tower? Or you can yeah, view the water tower? I can't remember if it's five or seven, but I, I know where you're talking about. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> It, uh, I was pre-running it uh, for the last time we were there, and it, it was wet, and it was awful, and I and I nearly lost my BMW. And, oh, well, I mean, it's pretty <laughs> stuffy. It's, now, well, uh, go ahead, so, Ian. It seems like one lap is uh, breeds a, a special kind of crazy driver. Um, Grid Life had its uh, round one event at Mid-Ohio, uh, what, a week ago? And we had nasty weather for, uh, like, the supermajority of the overall event. And Brad Yonkers and Matt DeRoos were out in the BMW, basically at the front of grid every rain session, to sure. just go out and go as fast as they possibly could. Yep. And uh, their pace the is, was just incredible. The rain is the ultimate teaching tool. I mean, it is, if you can't be fast in the rain, you can't be fast in the dry because it's all about smoothness it's all about line it's all about your eyes and i mean everybody that wants to learn how to drive well should take every opportunity they have to not only get out on a racetrack but especially to get out in the rain because every every time that you bobble every time that you're not smooth every time that you're abrupt with the throttle of the brake it it really shows in the rain and so no get out there and learn get out there and have fun and besides you're going to crash at half the speed that's true. The walls, uh, the walls aren't, uh, or the walls are a little further away when you're going about exactly. half the speed. <laughs> exactly. Now I remember uh, in 2016 coming down the main straight at Palmer at something like 110, driving through standing water at start finish, and just thinking, "Well, this, I'm going to crash. This is insane." <laughs> <laughs> well, Palmer was an especially treacherous racetrack, and it was, and uh, but it was a fresh pavement. And it's got lots of grip, but it's that um, that track is is a patience racetrack. That was not an attack racetrack. Oh my! And it was most, unbelievable. It's a great. I mean, it's a great de. It's a great teaching track. But I mean, as far as competing on it, I don't know if I'm ever going to go back again. But it's a uh, uh, yeah. It's a. Uh, it was. It was fun. I mean, but again, like I mentioned early on with the uh, uh, Big Willow at Turn Nine, once you once you master that. Every corner at, at Palmer becomes incredibly easy. So, has yeah. has the weather ever gotten so bad during an event that you had to cancel a stage or a stop at a track? Uh, not in the time I've done it. Okay. Uh, um, I mean, since I've, I've organized it, we've we've had torrential downpours. Um, I mean, we were at Pocono once, and you couldn't go outside without without drowning. And, but that was a long, long time ago. Uh, again, anybody that's run the event with us will, will attest that, uh, that the, the day at Texas World, all the apexes were flooded 
I don't know, eight, 10 inches. And the uh, we had a, uh, a uh, Corvette GTP mongoose that actually floated onto the front straight. <laughs> because the water was so deep. Um, but, I mean, we, you know, I, I, I try to keep safety, you know, obviously keep safety in mind. I run a, I, I think I run a very safe event. I make sure that we have the input of all the drivers. Um, we were at Pueblo, uh, was it two years ago, Abram? I think that was right. There. Yeah, I was not, but I was paying attention to what RS was doing during that time. And the uh, and Pueblo was a has a drag strip down the front straight, and water and the uh, VHT do not mix. I mean, it's just a treacherous compounding because the the it's like polished concrete with WD forty and detergent, and the minute you hit it, you you're just dead. And so after a lot of conversations with the drivers and, and trying to come up with a way to run, we ran an eight-tenths time trial. We left pit out drove, uh, at speed and drove around to turn, I think, turn eight and then came back off at, uh, at pit in. You know, we, we do our best to run something and safely. It's kind of kind of taking it back to the, uh, the roots of one lap. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we're... Desperate people do desperate things. You know, we drive, you know, drove hundreds of miles to get there. We're going to do something there. Right. Now, when you're when you're looking at the course or, you know, kind of the route and where all the tracks are, uh, does it ever cross your mind like, hey, I should put this one really far out there because I know it's going to be a really big stretch for everyone? No, I I, I, I will. I, 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 there's a limit to how far we will drive in a day. Okay. You know, and this year we got a bunch of people whining because we're driving from high plains which is in byers colorado all the way down to crescent which is on the uh, southeast or southwest side of fort worth yep it's 760 miles something like that but you're driving through the middle of nowhere right and you know it's a long trip but you got there's nothing to do once you get in crescent so you might as well get in late and get you know get some sleep um and we've got a couple le- a couple legs that are like 600 miles. But, you know, if you once you start driving, you tick off miles pretty quickly. You don't have to be going fast. It's just that, you know, you're driving down the highway. Yeah, you just kind of you fall into a rhythm after a while. I, uh, I took a big exactly. motorcycle trip this summer, and the first couple of days were brutal. But after that, I fell into a rhythm and could do, you know, 650 miles in a day. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's what, you know, I tell the new people that, you know, you get into a rhythm, you sleep you drive you sleep you drive and pretty soon we could do this indefinitely yeah just it starts becoming the norm after a while right even the really 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 long ones like the 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 normal refrain at the finish was let's go with another lap because you finally figured it out and finally started (laughs) to arrive yeah well something i think that was uh understated uh to me or like maybe it wasn't wasn't obvious was uh, when I got there in 2016 uh, it's it's amazing how much trust it takes in your co-driver in order to be able to sleep in a car when someone else is driving Mm -hmm. you're you're, you're both kind of exhausted and like your co-driver needs to be a a person that you trust completely in order to get reliable sleep during those transit stages well that's one of the things that I try to impress on the new people is that you not only do you have to trust, but you have to be worthy of that trust. And because when you're driving on the highway and you know you're tired, 
Well, you start itching the top of your head and start playing with your ear and you start yawning. Well, your co-driver who signed on for the week wants to drive too. And you said, oh, somebody's getting tired. So he wakes up. And if all of a sudden you drive for another 400 miles, that means that nobody's sleeping for that 400 miles. And every mile that ticks off, the co-driver gets more and more anxious and less sleep. And, 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 and by the time he's driving, he's not worth shit either. Yeah, both of your clocks are, uh, are winding down pretty well at that point. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, and if you drive like an idiot or you, you know, drive past the time that prudent people would, then you've foregone that trust. And it's very, very difficult to get it back in the course of a week. Right. Now, what are, so what are that, some other things that, you know, somebody that might be new to the event might not know coming in and might, you know, really, really could use some help with uh, as far as tips go? Uh, well, David Murray, a, a past winner of the event and a great endurance racer, Porsche driver, described the event as an eight-tenths event that you, because you've probably never been to the racetrack, and, and if you have, it certainly wasn't in the conditions that we're going to see that day that you can't attack the racetrack. You have to leave something in reserve because our format is all the laps count. We don't do, we don't take the best of three laps. It's, you know, from the time the checker flies to the green, or the green to the checker, uh, all that time counts. So if you attack a corner and you go off, the clock's still ticking. And so it's best to run the event within your limits of what you know and kind of move up on the time rather than to uh, be overzealous from the from the start. And, well, that, and that too, like it, it depends a lot on the uh, the course configuration as well. Like, um, you know, it's possible that uh, when you line up to start finish that you've never seen turn one at speed because sure. put out exists after turn one. So you come out after having completed your first lap, and now you're on pace, and you're going into turn one, and you have no idea what that corner looks like. Yep. Like turn one at Sebring. <laughs> That's where we were last year. I mean, some people had never, ever seen it at speed. It's one of the most, you know, uh, intimidating corners in racing. It's bumpy, it's shitty, it's fast, it's wide, and there's walls all around. That's one that I, uh, I have a lot of experience with screwing up with in Forza. <laughs> Not in person, but in Forza all the time. Try and okay. send it through turn one as fast as you can, and then you end up in the wall on the outside. Yeah, it, uh, it's it's a fast corner. It ain't that fast, though. But yeah, anyway, no. It's, uh, we, and that, that, like Abram said, that, that's true at most of the racetracks. We'll send you out a pit out, and you know, you'll go through turn one probably, but you won't have any idea how fast you can get through it. Right. Now, some of the drivers that have found a lot of success at the events, I mean, how, how do you know that they cope with learning new tracks and being able to, to, you know, come up to speed as quickly as possible? Well, some people are naturally gifted at, at seeing a corner, seeing a track, and, and, and intuitively knowing how fast they can go. Andy Hollis is that way. Um, you know, from his vast autocross experience, he can look through a set of cones and see a line and, and see a speed. And a good, like any other good autocrosser, on a, he'll, he'll show up, line up, and run with it a tenth of each lap, you know, uh, from his first to his third. Uh, that's a skill that's important to have. Um, the again, staying within your limits. You know, if you if you can't if you can't see a, a ten tenths in it, well, don't drive ten tenths through it. 
Um, but the more tracks you see, you know, I, I've been lucky. I've driven about 85 racetracks on the country. The more tracks you see, the, the more understanding you have and the, the more commonality you see between all the corners. Of course, piecing them together in a little puzzle that a racetrack becomes doesn't necessarily come to play, but it, it, that's all part of it. Right. You know, I've always kind of viewed uh, learning different tracks kind of like learning how to write. You know, first you would learn how to write your letters, which would be the different corners, and then you learn how to write the words, which is the track. So mm-hmm. it's kind of it's one of those right. things, you know. Uh, you know, I started tracking in Georgia and then in Texas, and then when I moved to the Midwest, I started realizing some of the corners were very similar to corners on other tracks. So, sure, you know, yeah. you just kind of add it to your repertoire and then you just repeat it. Yeah, and that, that's why we remember the, the, the big corners like turn one at Watkins Glen or 12 at Road Atlanta, uh, one and 15 at Sebring, you know, uh, things like that because they are extraordinary corners. Right, right. They're just different than what you would find almost anywhere else. Right. Yeah, what do you do turn one at Brainerd on the old track? <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen some videos. Actually, recently, um, Mike Cohn, one of the guys that works for Good Life and myself, were watching a, a video from Brainerd uh, when back in the 80s when they raced uh, trucks. There was like a spec truck series right. um, that, that SCCA Pro Racing did. And watching those guys go around Brainerd was, was a heck of a lot of fun. And I saw turn that turn, and it was, uh, it was pretty interesting. It's the fastest right-hand corner in racing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and watching, like, okay. those trucks go four wide through there. This was like an old VHS tape that somebody had digitized and put on YouTube. Um, but it was still really, really cool to watch. Yeah. We had we had one-lap cars on street tires going through there at 165 miles an hour. Oh, God. <laughs> what kind of speeds did you see at Road uh, Atlanta last year? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um I'm the, uh, I don't even know. I, I, on purpose, I don't know the speeds and I don't know the lap times. Otherwise, I'd kill the event. I mean, it'd scare me to death. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss sometimes, right? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I, the, I can't watch the first couple of run groups go out because the cars are so stinking fast. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're, the cars are, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred horsepower capable of, well, without aero speeds well over 200 miles an hour with in streetcar trim yeah that's uh that's pretty pretty crazy uh speaking of cars what uh what are some of like your favorite or most interesting cars that you've seen ever run one lap <laughs> i know there's probably well, a lot I've, of them uh we've seen a lot of cars we in the old days the, the mix was much more eclectic it was pickup trucks and stretch cadillacs and no, yeah, well, stretch Porsches, um, 1922 delivery trucks, and, you know, the, the, the mix of standard sedans and things like that. Uh, my favorite cars, we had a Pinto showed up once year, one year. <laughs> nice. And it was, uh, it was a, a professor from the University of Kentucky, a really nice guy, Rob. Uh, and they decided to put a 302 in that thing. And normal people kind of shoehorn it in. No, they, they, they were on a budget. They took a Sawzall and ran it down the hood line through the bumper and created an open space in the front. Slid the motor in and put a giant radiator on it and put balloon tires on it. It was the most <laughs> offensively awful car ever. Um, but uh, nonetheless, it was, uh, it was slow and, and, and fun. 
Um, we've had a lot of cars that sh showed a, a, a great deal of uh, imagination, um, a gr incredible workmanship. We had uh, 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 Ron Ab brought a, uh, a Viper once that was uh, had a, a Chevy motor in it uh, with a uh, making twelve hundred horsepower. And the, the the welding on all the uh, on all the uh, turbo tubes and were it was just spectacular. It was a gorgeous car, an incredibly fast car, also. Um, we also built a NASCAR truck for the event, which was pretty impressive. Um, I mean, nowadays it's uh, you know it's the, the most the most beautiful cars are the GTRs with the the giant AMS packages and the big turbos and the big brakes and you know hustle around. Um, yeah. I mean, most of the cars now are pretty boring. I mean, by comparison. And I know down to the list. one of our uh, our guests that's been on the show before, uh, Kevin Wesley, said he brought like a, a Bricklin or, or something goofy back in no, the. No, he brought the Brick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was the it was a Dodge Valiant. And oh, 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 oh. Okay, well, he brought us several cars. Okay. Okay, but he's he's best known probably for. Uh, uh, a, the, the what we referred to as the brick it was a green brick and, and it was a <clears throat> it was a 66 67 Valiant and with a, a big 340 in it and and like factory uh, brakes or something right sorry <laughs> uh, I think he, he said it had like factory brakes or something on it like the car just uh, would not yeah, stop yeah, yeah yeah I can test that he drove into the wall at Sandia because <laughs> he got lost um, but continued by the way um but no, uh, that was a brilliant car, and uh, because it was ugly and it was it was fast, and, and Kevin's a great driver. Uh, but he did bring a um, uh, a Mosler Raptor. Oh, that's here. what it was—a Mosler, not a Brickland. Yeah, and um, and he, he won the event, I believe. And it was a uh, a Mosler uh, was a guy that made a lot of money in the uh, uh, finance business uh, in the '90s. Decided to build uh, in the eighties, I guess. Started building his own cars. Uh, built the Consolier GTP first, which was a an incredibly uh, a wonderful little car. Ugly as shit, but uh, very fast for his period. And he built a bunch of those. And and he decided he would build faster cars. So he extended the tub so he could put LS motors in it. And he only made a few of those because they were so profoundly ugly, fast. But so ugly, nobody buy them. And they kept bringing them to one lap, trying to sell them. And uh, my father uh, uh, hated the cars so much he banned them. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> just, just too ugly and too fast for the event. Yeah, he, he created this rule that you had to make twenty-five of them. Oh, okay. And I have subsequently scratched that rule because I, you know, I really appreciate the, the people that do silly things with cars. Yeah, especially the people that, that come along for one lap. You kind of have to be a, a somewhat silly person to, to decide to go and do it, too. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an event that you can go to a standard cocktail party and, and tell people what you did for your summer vacation. They'll look at you and kind of walk away. But, um, yeah, it, it not, you know, it's not something that prudent people think is a good idea. But it's a lot of, you know, again, it's a lot of fun. Now, Speaking speaking of cocktail parties, when you're explaining to people what one lap is, or you know, um, you know what you do, 
how does that usually, what do you usually tell them? Like, what's the elevator pitch for one lap? Uh, I put on a, a rally around the country where we stop at racetracks and race. Okay. I mean, it's a, you know, to, you know obviously, I, you know, if somebody sound, thinks that's fun, I can expand on that, but most people don't. <laughs> what's uh, what's your favorite story to tell people of, of something that's happened on one lap? Oh, God. After 35 years, I got way there's too probably, many Yeah, there's probably tons of them. Oh, there's, I mean, it, it's a story for all occasions. I I don't know that I have a favorite story. I mean, I've, you know, I've got... You know, I've, I've been responsible for as many stupid things on, on racetracks as anybody, and a lot of them happened during one lap. On, on, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'll probably think of something as I go along. <laughs> right. To me, thinking recently, um, you know, the, the guys at RS Motors are, are friends of our program as well, and they're, they're great people and fantastic racers. And mm -hmm. when I watch them do a motor swap after an engine failure, in someone's driveway underneath a pop-up tent and come back to Sebring the next day and to just, you know, perform incredibly. Like, to me, that that press-on, regardless, spirit of the event, what like, that was captivating. Um, and that and happens, in a nutshell, that that's what the event is about. Right. I mean, that happens a couple of times every event. You know, something you have a catastrophic failure, and they'll... Uh, they'll break and we'll we'll laugh and we'll smile and and they'll be back the next day. I mean, I don't know how many transmissions have been built in the in the bathtubs of hotel rooms, <laughs> or to you know based on the kindness of strangers along the way. I mean, we uh, when I ran, I you know we I blew up a couple of times and you know people would take me in and 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 I'll uh, help me fix the car and we we continue on. Uh, that's that's also one of the nice things about the event is you you, know, you find nice people all around the country. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like one of those events, too, that when people know about the event and they know that it's stopping close by to where they are, they'll they'll come out and, and check everything out. They might not be along for the ride the whole time, but, you know, they'll come in well, and see an event or but two. There's, yeah, there's that. But there's also the, you know, stuck by the side of the road goodness of people that just kind of appear. You just know, random, random just strangers. Random, nice people. And, uh, you know, it's a very heartening to, to think that, you know, that uh, people can be nice. You don't see it often, but you see it most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, any, any plans in the future to, uh, you know, have the event extend out to the West Coast or maybe embrace the roots and do something at uh, the Portofino? Oh, God, I'd love to. Um, I was in talks with NASA about running a secondary event for the West Coast because, you know, the West Coast has some fabulous racetracks. And I, you know, it's just too far. The last time we came out, I think it was 2004, and we drove, I think we, what was it? Uh, we drove Pikes Peak International and left there about 3 o'clock in the afternoon and drove up uh, US 24 out of, out of uh, uh, Colorado Springs up to Breckenridge, got on 70, got up to Green River Junction, got up on Route 6 to Death Highway, got up to 80, drove across the Bonneville Salt Flats, through Nevada, Sunrise at uh, Donner Pass, and then drove Sears Point in the afternoon. That's a big day. That was a fun day. It was a, probably the prettiest, most amazing trip we'd ever done. 
It was a full moon all the way across the state at night. It, it was gorgeous. It was pretty. Uh, and, you know, it was flat and empty, so it didn't matter. You pretty much run what you want. And, uh, and then we came back through LVMS and uh, ended back up at uh, Pueblo the next day. Okay. Well, that brings up a good point, Brock. How do you manage, um, you know, the, the official competition side of the event, but also kind of force people out of their comfort zone and, and get them into an amazing, call it an adventure drive as part of the trip? Uh, you mean as far as, oh, by the way, you're going to drive 1,200 miles? Sure. Well, I try to... Um, I try to gauge the people to see what they're what they'll do. Um, there's a there's a whole contingent of folks that will follow me wherever I take them, and I appreciate that. And then there's a bunch of other folks that balk about more than six or seven hundred miles in a day. And I try to balance those things off. <clears throat> so if I if I can loop two good racetracks together and it's a little bit further than they want to go. Um, then it, they'll they'll try it for that you know, and usually I try to do a, a, a long one a, sh a long transit a shorter transit and maybe another long one so you don't beat them up to, to beat up people too badly but again if the racetracks are worth it uh, they'll they'll go yeah and you know I think uh, you know looking at doing an event on the west coast here uh, I know myself and a couple other people would be interested in helping you out organize something like that because uh, you know, for, for people on the West Coast, making it out to South Bend and spending the whole week there, I mean, it's already two to three days transit time just to get there uh, and oh, then come sure. back as well. It, it no. doubles the length of the event. Well, it depends. I know people do it, though. I know people do it. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, it, there's wonderful racetracks out there. And, and uh, John Lindsay and NASA tried to put on the Open Track Challenge a bunch of years ago. And... They had some interest, but not enough. Uh, again, I uh, we looked seriously at, at doing the West Coast event, but there was no there was no real interest. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, the West Coast is you know geographically distant from the East, and, and one lap seems to have settled more on as a as a, as a Midwest East Coast event. Yes, I you know I'd love to get into PIR and and. Uh, and Oregon Raceway and all, you know, all the tracks that are out there. Uh, but I just, you know, I, I, it, it just, I don't think there's the interest out there right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, organizing something like that, especially the first year, it's kind of, kind of taking a gamble a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not in a position to take a gamble, but you know, again, there's, you know, you have great racetracks, you know, uh, and they're all scattered along. So they'd be perfect. But, uh, you know, again, well, we'll see what happens. So what's uh, what's the route for 2018 this year? I mean, I, I, the event's kicking off in what, about two and a half weeks? Oh, no, next week. Oh, is it next week? <laughs> oh, you know what? I, Friday. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, a week from Friday. But uh, we start in South Bend at the tire rack, uh, as we mentioned. And now the first day, Saturday, we'll be doing a wet skid pad, and that's to... Uh, it's a competition to see who can uh, generate the highest lateral G in a, in a flooded skid pad. And that's a number that the tire companies are quite interested in. And we do it the wet skid pad early uh, because that's before the tires start degrading and it's the best grip. 
Um, that's obviously for points. Then that afternoon, we'll be driving at Autobahn on their south course as our first official road course time trial. Then we'll ease off to Gateway International in East St. Louis, where we'll do a uh, uh, two road course events on a little roval, and then move over to the drag strip where we'll do a low ET run and a bracket race. The next day we'll be at Hallett, I mentioned earlier, in, in Tulsa, uh, near Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, a fabulously difficult, wonderful track with, uh, with great people and great food. Over to High Plains, which is in uh, Byers, Colorado, which is a, a, a relatively new racetrack built by racers for racers. And it's got a lot of great elements. It's got straightaways, it's got uphill and downhill decreasing radius, it's got, again, elevation changes. It's got, uh, it's got a lot of wonderful elements that makes for a great racetrack. Uh, then um, down through the middle of nowhere to Motorsport Ranch Crescent, which is a, a little club track outside of Dallas-Fort Worth uh, that has three configurations. We'll use all three, and it's just, it, again, it's just a fun little racetrack. Then over to NOLA, uh, New Orleans Motorsports Park, which is a giant, incredibly fast paperclip. Uh, and then up to the National Corvette Museum in Bowling Green, and, uh, which is a, as much racetrack as you can put in five acres that I've ever seen before. Uh, gone up to Tyrac where we'll do a dry skin pad on Saturday the twelfth. Uh, okay, nice. That sounds like a, a pretty pretty decent size uh, route this year. That's a pretty good loop. It's about thirty seven hundred miles. That's uh, not not too shabby, and it really is a, a testament to the tires uh, and to the drivers too to be able to to last that long. Uh, if you if. if the problem with people have with tires if they start overdriving the car, they start doing burnouts or try to heat them up. If you treat your tires well, you should actually get two events out of them. Okay. Uh, but if you again, if you if you have an understeering car and you insist on turning in and stepping on the throttle, well, it's probably not going to happen. Either. Right, you're just going to drive them right off. Yeah. Was so okay. Austin, at uh, it was actually at Mid Ohio this year that I changed over my 2016 one lap tires. So I had used them for all of the track day stuff that we had done last year as just kind of a, a test and tune tire, and it's only now that they're like finally tapped out and ready. We're ready to come off. So you mean so last year when I drove your car in the rain at uh, Gingerman and the tires were just about done? Uh, that was the same tires that you ran Mid Ohio on correct nice and uh we we changed those off at the event and um yeah they're they're done now but uh after one lap uh, even uh, when the tire life uh was was maybe something that was worrisome uh, when we made the the tire selection uh you get done with the 5000 road miles or however many road miles if you go transit to and from the event um it it was remarkably uh, like reliable and and actually the the road miles didn't seem to burn them up too bad which was surprising See, as, no, long as long as you don't run you know stupid amounts of camber or a bunch of toe out i mean the tires are tires are happy they don't care i mean the only tire failures we see and i'm responsible for several of them is potholes in in uh, indiana roads in indiana stupid, man they're, they're indiana, literally yeah. the worst yeah, I've blown up two BMW tires in Indiana. 
So, so most Giant. tire failures yeah. happen either at the very beginning of the event or the end of the, the event. The very end, yeah. <laughs> well, luckily, Anytime tire rack's not too far away if, uh, if you need a spare. That, that, that is, a, yes, that is exactly right. And, uh, <laughs> but, and I, but I did find out that in, in, uh, on a Saturday afternoon in Indianapolis, you can buy a 275, 18, 19, no, it was 18, whatever, uh, four, uh, 35 out of Pep Boys. Really? Just not, not a matching one to what you were running, but one to get you to where you needed to go. Exactly. Exactly. Nobody was more surprised than I was that <laughs> I could get one, but it was round and black. That's all I wanted. Now, what are what are some of the rules regarding you know tires? If if somebody does have an incident on the road where they have to have a tire replaced, what's the the procedure there? Uh, basically, you have to prove it to me that your tire needed to be changed. Um, the when you show up at Tire Rack, we require you to buy at least four tires, the ones on the ground, and we will paint them with your the tire manufacturer on the sidewalk. Okay. So that's so we can tell if the tires have been changed. And you're allowed to bring a spare per wheel size. And if you have a square car, that means you get one one tire. Um, and in the old days, people would kind of surreptitiously trade them out. They would rotate them in and give them quite an advantage. But now we just paint the four, so we, again, so we can tell if something's changed. And if you have a blowout, it's pretty obvious it's a failure. If you have a nail uh, or some, some, uh, something that pr provides a, a, a safety issue, we will let you change it. If you, like BMW found the first year, uh, and as a sponsor, show up with you know, four degrees of negative camber. Um, no, that's not a legitimate reason to change the tire. And I made them turn their tires inside out. And they were my sponsor. So what's well, keeping uh, everybody on the level on a level playing field, though? Right. We try to be incredibly honest and, and, and fair to everybody. But uh, again, you know, if you treat your tires well, they'll, they'll last for a long time. But, uh, yeah, but, you know, again, most of most of the failures we see are pothole related. Okay. Now, what are what are some of the tracks that uh, you may have not run with one lap yet that you would like to run in future years? Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Oh, that'd be really cool. <laughs> and I'm I'm really close to getting it. I mean, I it's a question of dollars, and 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 we run the first week in May, and I have to back up the schedule one week, and Mother's Day kind of rotates towards the you know the, the middle of May back to the uh, beginning of May and once it gets back to the beginning of May uh, then there's no conflict with the Indianapolis 500 and I should be able to get it um, one of these days when CODA goes through its third bankruptcy we'll get there <laughs> I'm actually going there this weekend yeah, well, they they want a ton of money for that thing. Yeah, a little event like mine can't uh, can't afford that right now. I may work a deal with NASA that we do one event uh, in the late afternoon after their main day, but um, they but we'll see. I mean, it's a uh, <clears throat> that's 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 all. Yeah, it's a still a lot of money. Um, we've run Daytona and Sebring and the Glen and 
virtually every other racetrack in a, you know worth running in the country. Yeah, all the world class um, facilities. Yeah, I mean, Road America, Brainerd, uh, you know, God, what else is there? I mean, there's just uh, Barber, um, you know, Road Atlanta, of course, and everything else. Yeah, so, you've been you've been to most of them, at least the ones that are within you know the geographical area that you're wanting to stay within. And and there's you know there's new tracks that are coming online that I try to get to too. Uh, but right now, the only track that I really want to get to is the new one in, in New Hampshire. Uh, it actually looks like fun. Uh, there's a couple of other ones, uh, little club tracks that uh, are really not worth the time as far as I'm concerned for, for our event. Right. You know, the 1.1-mile club tracks with 18 turns or or uh, safety tracks. Or, uh, you know, there's a track in, in North Carolina, the, a testing facility, but you can't go there because there's no paddock. There's no pit area. Was oh, that in, NC so, car? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's no staging place, and there's no place to safely put cars. You know, it's okay for an autocross or something like that, but not for not for an event like a, like yeah. ours. Yeah, when you're running an event uh, the size of yours, it's uh, you know you have to take other things into consideration. Yeah, you, there, there's. I mean, our primary goal is to make it a safe event. And uh, you know, for example, we can't run Lawrence anymore. The uh, uh, the what used to be the Michelin test facility, because again, there's no place to stage anybody. There's no, it's not safe to put anything anywhere. Right. Now, if people want to learn more about about one lap and participation, where where can they go? Well, you can go to the Facebook page, uh, One Lap of America, or you can go to the uh, website, OneLapOfAmerica.com. Okay. Yeah, I think for uh, Google me and call me. Most people do. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think for for myself and uh, for a lot of other people, uh, one lap of America is definitely on our our bucket list of of driving things to do. For me, it's that and the twenty five hour Thunder Hill. Those are pretty much like my two pinnacle events for amateur motorsports things that I like to do. Well, like the twenty four hour, uh, twenty five hour, twenty four, twenty five hour. Uh, I mean that. When I was younger, that would have been a great deal. I did the 12-hour at Summit Point years ago, and that was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, but uh, uh, now it's a little shorter stuff. I'm, I'm, I don't have to, don't have the attention span. Anymore. Right. But uh, uh, a little note about this year: uh, Abram is not making it, but uh, we have Travis Pastrana coming. Oh, really? One of his, one of his guys. No kidding. In a in a Volkswagen, yeah. I assume. No, no, actually. In a oh, Subaru. Travis. Sorry, Travis. My bad. Yeah. Okay. And uh, uh, WRX STI, I believe. Okay. And uh, he'll be bringing his little road show with him uh, with Yokohama tires. And then we have Andy Pilgrim coming this year. Really? He's not a, not a terribly slow driver. Bringing a ZR1 with Michelin. Oh, my God. It's a bad year to miss, Abe. Yeah. Uh, well, sometimes that happens. <laughs> that, uh I mean, we're looking. It should be a pretty good event. I mean, we got some weird racetracks and some weird cars, and 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 if anybody in your listening audience wants to come out any any of the events, spectators are more than welcome. And we don't have many rules; just stay off the fucking racetrack. <laughs> um, so, Brock, actually, uh, home for me is like uh, 25 minutes or so from South Bend, and I think okay. we're going home for Mother's Day. So, more than likely, I'll find myself at the uh, the finish. Our finish good. We're, 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 we may have a special guest at the finish too. We're working on a variety of things, but uh, 
Uh, no, we uh, we're gonna have we're gonna have some fun this year. Now, if people want to follow along during the event, um, where are all of the official updates and things like that going to be at? Uh, that'll be on the Facebook page. Okay. And uh, Facebook and, and Yokohama and Michelin will have uh, updates, uh, but I think our page will be the uh, the, the primary spot where everybody's going to be posting. Um, so I know in the past Solomon has done like a live stream for for a coverage during the event. Is he going to be around again this year? Uh, Solomon's not, but Brian is uh, is. Oh, okay, great. Brian Huffers will be there as uh, head of that. Uh, yeah, when Solomon first suggested that we were going to uh, do live streaming. I looked at him and said, you realize, of course, the only people who are going to be watching this are kids stuck in their mother's basement in their pajamas. <laughs> and more young year, professionals that should be working. No, I mean, I, I didn't even think it, you know, anybody, you know, I didn't even think my wife would watch. And she used it as proof of life to make sure I was still alive. But um, uh, last year we had uh, Roadkill come along with us. And uh, they were wonderful people. They, I mean, I could not have asked for a, a nicer group. <clears throat> and with their PR help and, and social media uh, push, we had something like 450,000 people sitting in their mother's basement in their pajamas watching this fucking show. And I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> That's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, so apparently people do that. So... Uh, the live stream is an important part of the event now, uh, and again, with the personalities we have, I think uh, I think the interviews will be fun, uh, and again, the, the cars get around just fine. Yeah, you know, I think One Lap is one of those events where it's kind of, in the past couple years, it's kind of gone from something that only true, like, real enthusiasts know exists becoming more part of like the mainstream automotive culture is is more you know people of profile come and, and compete and do you well know, we've do always the event. been on people's bucket lists i mean it's just you know because of the, the, the reach we have the the number of tracks that we've been to the fun people and the great cars but i think you know certainly something did happen in the last couple of years i even probably we got better at social media uh, but we've always, you know, we've always been lucky to have grassroots motorsports, exa uh, for example, covering us or before that, uh, prior, our car driver. Uh, we've always had a pretty good footprint. And, uh, uh, but again, it's a modern age and, 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 you know, people still like to get out and do stuff, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I know for me, it's, uh, it's going to remain on my bucket list and hopefully I'll be able to, to do it at least once in the next couple of years. Show up. I mean, it's it's not that hard. Even tell them it's not that hard. It's not that hard. Find you just need car. a car that runs and, uh, um, and money to pay for the entry fees. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's an event that can be enjoyed on many levels. I mean, it's you know, the the faster you go, the more pressure there is, uh, the more work it becomes. And if you show up in a slow car and to have fun. It's just and enjoy the people. It's going to be an amazing experience. Uh, if you want to measure yourself and your and your car against other people, uh, these cars are stupid fast. I mean, they are blisteringly dumb fast. Uh, you know, it's not you know it's, it's not like the ultimate track car challenge where you show up in in race cars when race tires. These are street cars, and 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 unlike you know tuner challenges, they actually drive for eight days. So when RS Motors, a tuner shows up, or, or other tuners show up and finish the event, it's a testament to the, the quality of their build and their, the quality of, of their, their craftsmanship. 
And any tuner that, that won't enter the event obviously doesn't think their car can stand up to the rigors of actually driving it. So, uh, so actually, that was that was something that I experienced um, as as I was planning for the event was trying to communicate um, in detail uh, the the needs for for the design, which was that like, look, it needs to it needs to be fast and it needs to make good power. But it needs to be reliable, right? So mm -hmm. I think a lot of shops can make uh, and and sell you components in a vehicle that can can put down a fast lap on a track. Um, but sure. to do that for eight days and and also be able to drive several thousand miles uh, without defect is is tricky. And mm -hmm. it was my experience that the problems um, and, and troubles that we had along the route in 2016 was related to road miles, not track miles. Um, and, and so that was like, a, it, it's a complicated design challenge that I don't think everyone is really good at. Well, but at the same time, anybody can make a, a car go fast. I mean, you know, you put an extra turbocharger on it and, and dial that fucker up until it's near dead. And, but again, to make it quick and reliable and bulletproof, uh, is is a is a different set of uh, a different set of parameters. I mean, if you go to a, a car and driver tuner shootout or any of the other magazines, they have a whole legion of tuners that are you know touching the car every time it comes in off the racetrack. You know, checking the computer readings. You know, checking up the spark plugs and whatever else they do. And you know, in one life, you don't have that opportunity. I mean, you you know, whatever you built, you drive. And well, you put up with it. So I think there's uh, some people that enjoy the simplicity of that too, though. Well, um, yes. I mean, it, uh, <laughs> I mentioned David Murray before, who brought a GT3 uh, when it first came out, and his entire toolbox was a uh, roll of paper towels and some Windex. <laughs> and that car wheezed around just fine. Third place, second place, but yeah. So, um, you know, we've seen the success of, of GTRs and, and other Porsches in the past, in the last decade or so. Do you have any um, insight or, or you think a, a, a ringer vehicle that, that has yet to be untapped? Well, I think Andy Pilgrim and the, and the GR1 Corvette this year will be hard to beat. Um, it'll be very fast. There's no question about it. It'll be incredibly well-driven. Um, you know whether or not Andy, uh, which uh, there's no no question, he's a good driver, uh, can make the car last for for eight days. Uh, it's up to him. Um, whether or not he can keep within the limits on racetracks he's never been to uh, is another wild card. Um, but that that will be a very difficult card. But and and to your point about GTRs and Porsches, um, you know the fast cars come and go. I mean we'll. You know, it's just a, it, you build a fast car and the manufacturer's going to come out with another fast car. And it's just an ever-escalating war. And, uh, you know, GTR's a perfect one-lap car right now because it's <clears throat> it's comfy, it's quick, it's relatively bulletproof, uh, and and, uh, and people, you know, it's relatively affordable. Well, I do see on my social media that uh, that Robert Thorne and Amanda are possibly bringing something interesting to the event this year. So we'll, yeah, we'll they're see. Bringing, they're bringing Catesby's car. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know that. <laughs> but again, Catesby's cars, you know, it's very, very fast. It has, it has a button that goes to like 1,100 horsepower. 
Um, but then again, you know, last year it uh, it popped the differential at uh, at Carolina Motorsports Park. I mean, the more you pump stuff into it, you know, the more likely you break it. So he's got to keep that car together. And he's he's a very good driver. He's you know, there's no question about that. But you know, how fragile those cars are in combination to his driving style, I don't know. You know, for, you know, for somebody that, you know, might be younger and might not have the budget that some of the other people that run GTRs and Porsches have, what do you think is a good budget conscious car that can still be somewhat competitive? Well, that little uh, Focus RS would be a, a brilliant little car. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, we have 11 classes, so we have economy all the way up. So, you know, we have... Uh, uh, if you show up in a, what do we got? We got a Honda Civic, a Camry, and a Volkswagen Rabbit in economy. So, I mean, is it going to be incredibly fast? No. Is it going to be fun? Yes. I mean, I've driven uh, lots of racetracks and lots of cars. And one of the last times I went out, my uh, my tow rig broke down and my little race car couldn't make it. But I promised to be there to teach. So I showed up in my WRX wagon you know, 2002 on all season high MPG tires at, uh, at, at Lightning. And was I fast? No. Did I have brakes? No. Did I have fun? Yes. Did I pitch it in at every corner and smile? Yes. And uh, so that's that's the way I view driving. You know, it, it's not it's not what you drive; it's how much fun you get out of it. Right. You know, I had a uh, a Jetta TDI Sport Wagon um, with a six speed mm-hmm. manual that I thought would be an awesome one lap car because you know the wagon you have all the space, and yeah. you know if you're if you're comfortable enough with whoever you're driving with, you could both sleep in the back too and not have to have the additional cost of hotels. So it would have been completely doable in that car. Mm-hmm. Well, some people bring tents. Yeah. Yeah, I remember there was, uh, I think there was like a husband and wife a couple years ago that did like a, uh, their honeymoon in an IS-300, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget exactly yeah, who that was, but Seattle. I remember seeing that story. Yeah. 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 Nice, very nice. She was pregnant. Oh, was she? Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty pretty hardcore bunch there. Oh, it's, uh, but again, it, uh, it, it's, it's, it's just a, you know, it, you get what you want out of it. I mean, if you want to, you know, you know, save a few dollars and sleep next to the racetrack, more power to you. I don't care. But uh, no, again, it's uh, we as I look up and down the list here, we've got you know just all kinds of weird cars. You know, the uh, I think the uh, SRT8 Magnum is you know one of the you know, best cars out there because it's it handles well, it goes fast, and uh, get all you like you say, put all your stuff in the back. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's going to cruise really comfortably, too, for the, mm-hmm. the transit stages. So that's a, I think that's a pretty good choice there. It is. It would be a lovely choice. So, If you're talking about uh, punching above your weight class, I think a K24 swap fit would be a lot of fun. I saw one of those run at uh, Lightning at uh, New Jersey Motorsports Park a couple of years ago. I was, my student was in a mini uh, Cooper S, and a fit went by us like we were stopped. <laughs> and and I went up and I said, I love your car. I mean, that's a uh, just a most bitching car ever. You know, it had little wide tires on it, and 
and he had a, had a bigger motor in it. And of course, the the downside of was the next time I saw the car, the the oil was coming out of the bottom faster than you could pour it in the top. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not the best one lap choice then. No, no. But those the little Hondas have uh, have passive uh, uh, rear steer, which allows for trailing throttle oversteer. So the car actually is very neutral to turn. Yeah, we actually we have a uh, with Gridlife we have a spec fit class where you know they're essentially they're all Honda fits. Actually, now it's the Sunday Cup open to any like B segment car, um, but it started as a bunch of Honda fits that would go out and chase each other around on track. And you know, yeah. like we were talking about before, I, they're slow, but they're heck of a lot of fun, man. I got a standing ovation after driving a Honda fit around. Uh, uh, Raceland, Raceway, Raceway Parks of the Midlands, and uh, because there's a bunch of sweepers and decreasing radius, and <laughs> I just pitched that thing in there, and I came back into the pits, and everybody was standing and clapping. So, no, they're fun. <laughs> yeah, no, they really are. And uh, I don't know, maybe next year we can uh, we can see if we can bring a fit in addition to Abe's car. Yeah, bring a fit. I mean, yes, of course. I mean, they're, they're, but again, they're fun cars. They're a little buzzy at 85 miles an hour. Yeah, I can I can see how you know a couple of days on the the freeways on one of those might get a little old, but uh, you know that's all part of the adventure, right? Yeah, when Car and Driver was still a uh, sponsor of the event, they, you know I would drive whatever they had in their backyard, and one year they gave me one of those things. It was the first year it came out, and I mean other than the fact I couldn't sit in it more than about seven minutes, it was a wonderful car to drive. <laughs> I think they subsequently fixed the ergonomics on it. Yeah, the new ones really aren't too bad. Yeah. So uh, a lot of a lot of our drivers um, drive particularly fast cars, and of course with with you guys as well. Um, the tricky part about jumping into a fit is that it is it is unbelievably difficult, and certainly hard to describe how hard it is to drive a slow car to the absolute limit of its potential. Because well, every tiny mistake you make is amplified, and there's no mm-hmm. horsepower to get you out of it. Right. Well, at the same time, it's not only is it more satisfying to, to drive a slow car fast, it's cheaper and you learn more. You know, if, if you get into your GT3 RS on your first track day, that little yellow light's probably going to come on 800 times, and for reasons that will escape you till you're dead because there's no input. It just says, oh, lights on, I saved your life. Lights on, lights on. And when you drive a slow car fast, especially a dumb car, a manualist car, you're actually learning. You're feeling the tires. You're, you're knowing the rotation. Um, you're seeing what small changes in the throttle make. Um, and again, in a, in a large car that you're driving, uh, wheezing around probably at 40 or 50% of its potential, you're not learning, you're just you're just steering. So, I mean, anybody that shows up for their first track day in a, in a Mustang GT500 or a, a Porsche or any one of a, a numerable stupidly fast cars are doing themselves really an injustice if they're actually trying to learn the craft of driving. Right. Start in something slow and stupid. You know, get yourself a Miata. Get yourself an old uh, 240SX or... You know, any one of a number of, you know, you know, BMW 325 or, you know, something that you can actually learn in. You know, and I, I, I grew up in front-wheel drive. My, my first car was a Lancia Fulvia Coupe. And I 
went into uh, you know I bought a, I have a Dodge Shelby Charger that with an IMSA car underneath it now, but I race neons and I I spent most of my life in all-wheel drive and I'm one of the few people that can actually teach front-wheel drive because I grew up with it and you know most people drive front-wheel drive cars every day of their lives until they you know get on a racetrack and and forgetting of course that the throttle applications are different the brake zones are different uh, the rotations the patience required is different and and. Uh, so they wonder why they didn't go fast, or, or you know why they're, they're, why it's so hard to learn. But anyway, I, I, I'll get off my soapbox. Now. Yeah, no, that's that's something we talk about a lot on the show. I mean, we're we're huge fans of of slow little cars here. In fact, Adam and I were trying to convince Abe that he needed to buy a Honda Fit for a daily driver to also bring to the track when the Evo's down. Well, I'm which you know, which is all the time. I think about it every day. <laughs> the, you know, another thing about the Honda Fit, and this is for enthusiasts. When you go buy yourself a, you know, a, a little, you know, let's say a GT3 RS and you use it for your street car, you're driving to work. You are driving 30 miles an hour. You're incredibly frustrated because everybody's in front of you. you, you there's no chance to open it up. If you got a Honda Fit and you put 175 tires on it, <clears throat> every corner becomes exciting. Oh, yeah, it's just a joy, you know, because well, you can drive it at the limit of what the car can do doing the speed limit. Yeah, exactly, and that you still can't catch the Buick in front of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you're at, you know at, at, at the limit. You're at death's door at every, every, every opportunity, and, and you're having fun, and you've got a big smile on your face, and everybody around you is going, I wish the traffic could go faster, and you're saying, no, I can't go any faster. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's just that's one of those things that uh that we we really love around here. Yeah, I mean, I when I lived in uh Redondo, I had a Myers-Max dune buggy. Yeah, it'd be a perfect perfect car for around here. Uh, especially when it rains. Oh, snap over steer and on a on on the oil-soaked road. Oh god, it was way too much. So fun. those 4 days a year that it rains, it's just uh-huh. amazing fun. Yeah, and it, all that oil rises to the surface and becomes incredibly treacherous. It's way too much fun. Nice. So, mm-hmm. well, Brock, we really, really appreciate your time. We definitely want to have you back on the show again sometime. Uh, I know well, Adam I Adam that. really I, wants to, uh, to to be able to talk to you as well. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I, you call me during one lap if you want. Yeah, we uh, we might if you if you have your phone on you and it's got Skype, we can easily record during one lap and get like a, a mid event update. I can do that. I think. Okay. I, yeah, I've got all this. No, we should uh, we should definitely plan on doing that. I'll uh, I'll rope uh, Adam in and and Abe as well. That sounds super fun. Yeah, it, uh, we're sure up at the track. We can do a live feed there. I mean, we're we're. I think Abe talking. Abe might be able to, and Adam might. It's it's a little bit of a haul for me from from out here. Oh yeah, but uh, I'm sure your budget will cover it. Oh yeah. Our, uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brock. Well, we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I'll see you again. Uh, hey, Brock. Uh, sorry you can't make it this year. Weenie. That, that uh. happens, man. Uh, we'll, we'll look at next year and uh, try and save some more. It's one of those things where we try to do too much in too short a time, and, and money just ran out. So we only, we only run this once a year. Yeah, Abe, you've had two years to plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, we didn't just spring it on you last week, by the way. 
But, uh, but no, it, it's a thing that, like, even though in my capacity uh, with Gridlife, it's it's just such a different challenge that I think about it all the time. And even if I'm not going for a given year, I still think about, okay, well, you know, where where are the untapped areas in the rules? And, like, what, what could a driver do? How could they what get an rules? advantage? What rules? I got no stinking rules. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. bare minimum. And as someone yeah. who writes rules for grid life, I, I appreciate the simplicity. And uh, I, I think there's a lot of untapped area. Well, yeah, there's an untapped area. Here, take your... Uh, go find a wrecked GTR, unbolt the body of your Evo and put it on top of it. I mean, there's a, there's a, you're still an Evo. That's true. I kind of like I that also, idea, Abe. I, I also noticed that uh, aero modification is basically totally unrestricted. So yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, it seems like in the time attack world, aero has advanced uh, into the hands of like, uh, high-level enthusiast people uh, in the last five years in a in a pretty remarkable way and like well I mean not just the five last last five years remember that Hyundai with a giant front wing oh yeah I mean that I mean that uh, that's that's I mean that's where you know the uh, I, that's what I really appreciate about the uh, the imagination of, of some folks. I mean, that's a, it was an ugly but brilliant car. So we'll bring a Honda Fit with all of the aero that you can get and no power upgrades. Actually, you know, <laughs> the only aero, the only funny thing is on a Honda Fit, and I pitched this story to Grassroots Motorsports years ago. I was going to take a Neon and go buy one of those aftermarket wingy things <laughs> and, and go to a racetrack and, and mount it in the back and get a lap time and then mount it on the nose and get a lap time. And grassroots wouldn't let me do that because, obviously, in a front-wheel drive car, where do you want the weight? Over the, the front. front. Yeah. Yeah. The ascent's just keeping it from dragging. And, uh, of course, that would kill the, kick the shit out of, the, out of all the wing sails for all those little front-wheel drivers. <laughs> <laughs> so. But, yeah, anyway. All right. Well, thank you very much. Well, we appreciate it, Brock, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Uh, perfect. Yeah. Um, actually, next uh, Wednesday I'll be driving, you know, from uh, uh, Philadelphia to South Bend, so I got nothing better to do. Okay. Yeah, maybe we'll catch you on uh, on one of the long uh, long transit drives in between uh, in between tracks. Yeah, just not the one from High Plains to Crescent because there's probably no cell service. Right. That I'm probably I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> nothing out there. No, there's we're we're driving literally through the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Now I've I've been out there before and uh, and you're correct. There is nothing there. That's that's the one where you got to kind of worry about fuel stops if you don't have a, a good range on your tank. Well, I, I have a Kia's giving me cars this year, so you taking a Stinger? Uh, I'm either a Stinger or a little Dan. So uh, they're giving us two Stingers, so I may have to steal one. It's supposed to be a pretty nice car. Yeah, every all the reports that I've seen, uh, everyone seems pretty impressed by it. Some of the plastics yeah. and stuff still are, you know, are are yeah, more budget. Cars are all plastic. Yeah, I mean it's. I mean, it's <laughs> what surprised me? What surprised me the most, though, with Kia and Hyundai is you look at where they were twenty years ago to where they are now. And oh, yeah, remember the old twenty-five years ago, the Excel or whatever they called that piece. Of, I mean, God, disposable cars. <laughs> well, I remember in two thousand in Atlanta, there was a uh, a Kia dealership, and when you bought a Kia, you got one free. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think they did that with Daihatsu's for a while, too. Yeah, yeah, and I think Daewoo's for a little bit, too. Yeah, yeah, please, take them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if only we could be so lucky today. Yeah, except then you'd have two of them. That's true. Well, you, you got a whole backup car, then. It's a parts car. Yeah, well, pretty soon you'd have two cars on every <laughs> block in the front yard. But no, it's uh, no. They're, the Kia people are really nice, and uh, this year we got Odyssey batteries supporting us. Oh, and, nice! Uh, that'll be that's, uh, that'll be fun. They're uh, they're bringing some personalities. They're buying us dinner. No, we'll have some fun with them. Yeah, it's uh, it's getting to be big time. Who who would have thought thirty five years ago that it would end up where it is now? Well, it's, I mean, it's certainly changed. I mean, we've got high level uh, watches for the winners from uh, Bernard Richards manufacturer. Uh, you know, craft watches out of France that are just gorgeous, and uh, you know it, uh, they they also supply the top ten trophies and wonderful people. But uh, no, we we've 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 gone through a lot, and we're still having fun. Awesome. Well, uh, hopefully uh, we'll be able to participate here coming up soon, and uh, we'll check in with you uh, <laughs> mid-event. Perfect. I look forward to it. All right. Same here. All Thanks right. so much, Rock. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks, Brock. Appreciate it. Have a good night.